One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. It is somehow still January, a month that can feel impossibly long, and also maybe relatedly, a month in which many of us are trying to set the tone for the rest of our years. I have friends doing dry January, a month of not drinking. I am personally trying to read more for pleasure and get more sleep. But I recently read a column by my colleague Tim Harford that made me think about how we approach self-improvement. He suggested that often what we're doing with resolutions is adding something good to our routines, like exercise, or subtracting something we perceive as bad, like processed food or screen time. But what if what we really need to do is just less overall? How do we talk ourselves into subtracting things that are good? Tim's beloved column in the FT is called The Undercover Economist. It explores the economic ideas behind the everyday. He's also written 10 books and has two podcasts, so he does a lot. And he's with me today from London. Tim, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to join you. I'm actually joining you from Oxford, but I guess from New York, it all seems the same to you. (laughs) It all seems the same. And he's joining me today from Oxford. (laughs) Um, So you wrote this column on subtracting stuff. It was inspired by a very popular book from last year, Subtract by Lady Klotz. And the illustration for the column is just this big menacing delete key, like the one on your keyboard. The most important key, right? (laughs) It sure is. But the first thing you tell us is that subtracting actually does not come naturally to us. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. The way you described your resolutions is, I think, pretty common. Let's get rid of bad stuff and we'll do more good stuff. And so I think what's missing from there, obviously there are loads of resolutions that say, I'm going to eat less bad food, for example, I'm going to stop smoking. But not many resolutions, I'm going to stop doing something that is worth doing, that does add something to my life, but I'll stop doing it because you can't do everything and there's only 24 hours in the day. Right. And I think we have a a bit of a blind spot for that sort of subtraction. And that's certainly what uh, Lady Klotz, uh, his book and his research suggests. Yeah. You gave a couple examples that made me think, oh, yes, (laughs) you're totally right about what you call subtraction neglect. Um, Yeah. The idea originally came to him when he was he was playing with Lego with his uh, son and they had this uneven bridge. And I was like, oh, I need to add some bricks to even up the bridge. And his son just took bricks off the longer leg rather than mm -hmm. he was looking to add bricks to the shorter leg. His, His son took bricks off the longer leg. He thought, oh, yeah. That also solves the problem. And I I never occurred to him to do that. Yeah. So that's just like the spark of inspiration. But when he actually, with his colleagues, started researching this idea of subtraction neglect more rigorously, there were some really clear examples. So for instance, uh, you show people a recipe for soup, with a bunch of ingredients. Yeah. And you say, can you make some suggestions as to how to improve this recipe for soup? And people hardly ever go, well, you know what? Maybe less garlic. Right. <laughs> or maybe there's maybe the cream is going to drown the flavor of the vegetables. Take out those ingredients. The the suggestions were almost always to add ingredients. And so yeah, hence yeah. this idea of subtraction neglect, this idea that it doesn't even occur to us that maybe we should mm-hmm. take stuff away. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about what this looks like in practice. Like in the context of New Year's resolutions, uh what are examples of things that we might want to theoretically subtract? Like for example, 
you know, have more dinner parties. Maybe you don't need to have more dinner parties. You could have fewer fun dinner parties. Is it things like that? Yeah. So it could be, I mean, you can look back and it's very easy to construct this ideal life for yourself that involves doing all this extra cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that if it was that easy, we probably would have been doing it already. Right. Um, and we can improve ourselves. We can change our lives. We can change what we do and how we spend our time. But what we can't change is the number of hours in the day, yeah. the, the number of days in the week. That's not going to change. The fundamental time constraint right. never changes. Almost automatically, if you're saying, I want to read more books, your resolution, I want to read more books, yeah. implicitly and perhaps unexamined is, and therefore I am going to do less of something else. For sure. And that's going to make time for reading more books. Now, maybe because you're a very wise woman, maybe you've (laughs) identified the thing that you're going to do less of. Mm -hmm. But often I think we're not very honest with us. So it could be that you're saying like, I watch a lot of Netflix. I like Netflix, but you know what? I'm actually going to watch less. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I'm going to read books or, um, I read a lot of New Yorker articles. No, no more New Yorker. I'm going to unsubscribe to the New Yorker and I'm going to use that time to read books or whatever it is. Right. I think we very often don't really face up to the the ineluctable arithmetic of that. Right, right, right. I like this like cognitive reframing of subtraction as just a reminder to sort of like, I don't know if you would agree, but almost cut yourself a break. Like I was thinking about this reading more books resolution, which I do have is finish more. It was sort of to finish more books because I read like the first third or first half of a lot of books. Not (laughs) obvious that that's Um, the wrong way to do it, but okay, go on. Well, right, exactly. So then I read the new Zadie Smith novel and I liked it, but it was long. And um, I don't know if I loved it. And I think I would have just been fine reading (laughs) the first half of it. (laughs) And I thought, okay, what, what is, why is my resolution finish more books? Maybe it's just... Read whatever books you want and stop them when you want. Like maybe that's all working fine. Yeah, but but let's let's assume that actually that is a, a worthwhile resolution, and you you mm-hmm. really would get something more out of completing more books. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have more hours. You don't have more time. Right. So at some stage you have to face up to what is it that you're not going to do. So implicitly, the most obvious. By default, unexamined thing you're going to do is you're going to start fewer books. Mm-hmm. If you're reading every book a quarter of the way through, you are going to read uh, one fourth as many books. Right. Uh, you, but you'll finish them rather than reading the first quarter of, of four times as many books. Right. Now, does that sound good? So don't or, pick up, that sounds way better. Don't pick up a new book to start <laughs> yeah. before you've, or maybe it, don't or, have four books going at the same time. Or maybe time. it is yeah. something else. Maybe you're going to spend more time reading books, mm-hmm. but then you still have to face up to well, what is it that you're going to spend less time doing. Right. And we're so dishonest with ourselves about this. And I am, by the way, I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to anybody else. This is all self-talk. I'm in constant denial of like, oh, I'm just going to be better. And when I'm better, when I'm more efficient, (laughs) then the time for all of this stuff is just going to magically appear. And of course it never does. Yeah, yeah. From the special investigations team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The retreat. The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast. Coming this January.
So one of the things that I really loved most about your piece is that you were very honest about how you struggled to actually, like you're saying, like you struggled to actually put this into practice, that it's not, uh, it's a great idea, but sometimes intuitively it's hard to know what, what you can cut. Yeah. So I, I, I reached out to Lady Klotz, the, the author of, uh, of Subtract. And, uh, he said, well, it actually, cause I said, look, I, I feel I should be subtracting something from my life, <laughs> but I don't know what to subtract. <laughs> and I've got, I'm in, in this kind of fierce denial. I make a list of all the stuff I've committed to do. I'm like, no, I'm going to do all of it. I'm going right. to keep kickboxing. I'm going to go to the gym. I want to swim and I'm trying to teach myself Tai Chi and I'm trying to uh, improve my piano. And yes, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better dad. And I will write that 11th book and I'm going to keep producing my podcast and I'm going to keep writing my column. And I'm, I don't want to let go of any of it. Um, but I read your book. And so what am I going to do? You know, what should I subtract? And, and he basically said, well, you know, even by asking the question, you're already beyond where most people are. Mm-hmm. So subtraction neglect is not about uh, refusing to subtract stuff. Mm-hmm. If subtraction neglect is, it doesn't even occur to you to try. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm still it's like like an old man shaking his fist at a cloud sometimes. But uh, yeah, I've got to, I've got to make that choice. Yeah. How did that leave you thinking about this? I mean, like, well, I think it's it has left me more sensitive to opportunities. To, to do less. Mm-hmm. So for example, in uh, kickboxing. So I, I do kickboxing two or three times a week. Like maybe two times is enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's okay if that third time when I, in principle, I could go, maybe I don't. And I stay at home mm-hmm. and I make a risotto or I read a book or something. And maybe that's okay. Uh, so, so there is some marginal shifting of the ground there. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, I'm talking to myself and saying, you know, you don't need to keep pushing yourself every single time. It's not weakness of will or laziness. If you don't go, mm-hmm. maybe it in fact is carving out more space to do something else that yeah. you want to do. But I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn, to be honest. You know, I one thing that um, also your column made me think about is how, like, no matter what your goal, um, the wall that you can run into at the end of this, as you sort of strip down um, some of the other things in your life, is is work. Like, it's hard to cut down work. Um, a lot of us have been able to cut down our commutes a little bit after COVID. That's good. But then simultaneously on the other side of that, there's all this discourse right now and there's all these books right now about how it's sort of untenable that we're expected to be so productive and work so much and we're all racing toward burnout. And it leaves me kind of wondering what is to be done here? Like, how do we balance these things? It's it's not easy. And, and you do wonder. So it's true that the shock of COVID did save you know, a lot of commuting time, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it blurred the boundaries even more than they were already blurred and they were already blurred right. between leisure and work. And this sort of constant possibility of checking your email, checking Slack, messaging your boss, doing a little bit of, uh, of kind of productive leisure time. Right. That I think really exploded during COVID time. So what I've tried to do myself is to turn that around and to push back and to say, well, hang on. Um, yeah. if COVID allowed work to just bleed into all of my evenings, 
it made me realize that what the thing that was preventing my work bleeding into, into the evenings before COVID was I was going out, I had commitments, you know, I was supposed to be going to the gym or I was supposed to be going to the theater and that's why I stopped working. Mm. Well, you can turn that around, you can push back. You can say, well, hang on, I can, these days, many of us, we're not all in this privileged position, but many of us could arrange to go to the gym at 11 o'clock or to have a lunchtime uh, yoga session or to go to a matinee. I mean, that those as long as you're getting your job done, right. if you're checking your email at six o'clock in the morning and you're replying to your boss at 11 o'clock at night, maybe it's okay if also you go swimming at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right. like that's, right. so, so we've got to negotiate this with ourselves, especially knowledge workers like you and me and many of the people listening to this. Right. We're in this kind of curiously privileged position. We've had have unrivaled control over how we spend our time, but at the same time, mm -hmm. an unprecedented ambiguity, right. which allows us to beat ourselves up in all kinds of new ways. Tim, do you think that this is about productivity? Like, do you believe that we can be more productive if we rest more, if we take time for activities we find fulfilling, um, if we do less? Or is this about something else? I mean, yeah, maybe you'd be more productive if you took more rest or did this or that, but that doesn't really seem to be, I think it's a mistake to instrumentalize it in that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should take more rest because we, you know, we don't rest enough. Right. Uh, and, and that rest is worthwhile in and of itself. There is a trap in everything being for the sake of getting more work done in the end. Mm -hmm. Like you should go on holiday because, because you'll get so much more done when you come back from holiday. I mean, that, that <laughs> right. seems to me to misunderstand the point of a holiday. Mm -hmm. Maybe not from the point of view of your boss, but maybe from the point of view of yourself. Right. So uh, some stuff has to be worth doing for its own sake, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, my last question, Tim, is just whether like ultimately you, even though it was hard for you to take things off your list, whether you do agree with this premise that we need to do fewer things, even if it means we give up on some things we like. Do you feel that way or was this more of a thought experiment for you? I mean, I accept the premise intellectually, <laughs> but I am clinging on for dear life to all of the things <laughs> that I have promised myself I'm going to get done in the first quarter of 2024. Uh, mm -hmm. as, I, as I've said, I'm, I'm stubborn. So for me, the, the changes are quite marginal. Mm. They're just giving myself a little bit of permission here and there. Mm -hmm. But I think it's always worth reminding ourselves that everything we do gets in the way of everything else that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in particular gets in the way of all the things we're not going to do because we're too busy doing the things we are doing. Right. And carrying that in the back of your mind that it is possible to just stop and do something else or maybe just relax right. is an option. I think I'm thinking more clearly from having reminded myself of that option, even if I'm not currently taking the option. Yeah. Um, well, we'll take that with us. Uh, Tim, this was such a delight. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be a guest. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's an honor to have you. Thanks. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I highly recommend you check out the show notes. We have links in there to everything that we talked about. All of the links in the show notes will get you past the paywall on FT.com. We also have discount codes for a subscription to the FT. And as always, ways to keep in touch with me and with the show on email, X, and Instagram. 
I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely week, and we'll find each other again on Friday.